Oh goody, you found me. This is Let's Get Passionate, and we are just about to get started. Hey listener, this episode begins with a trigger warning. Discussions of the threat of physical violence and violence with a weapon are discussed along with conversations about the trauma that it caused. Please proceed as you wish and take good care. Hey, welcome to Let's Get Passionate. I'm your host, Emily Martin, and today we're talking about mental health in the workplace with Briar Bim. How are you, Briar? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm excited that you're here. Oh, me too. I'm really happy that you trusted me to do this because we know each other from school, so you know that I have like some conversational skills. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I'm I'm nervous, but I'm excited. So good. I'm glad you're excited. So what's your current profession? So I currently work actually at a car factory on an assembly line and I've been there just over two years now. Yeah. Do you love it? It's definitely not a glamorous job, um, but there are definitely certain aspects to it that I can appreciate after my previous job. So I'm I get to clock in and clock out without taking work home with me, which is the biggest pro to it. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I think I'll be there for another year or two just to work off student loans and stuff like that and then move on to another career path. Cool. That's so exciting. Yeah. What's your educational background? You just said that it's like totally different than what you're doing before. So tell me about that. Yeah. So I do have my Bachelor of Social Work, which I uh, completed in 2017. And I started university right after high school um, and was kind of one of the youngest people in the social work program, which I found out later. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I was one of the lucky ones. I did my my fourth year placement at a child protection agency in my hometown uh, from September to January of my final year of school. And then I actually got hired on even before I graduated. So I just kind of got thrown right into it after that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What was your role there? Um, so as a student, my role was working with the mainstream uh, community in my hometown, like I said, just shadowing uh, what's called an initial investigator worker. So the first person to respond to calls of concerns for children's well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I got hired on, I was actually working more specifically with the First Nation, Métis and Inuit unit. Yeah. And so yeah. how was that different? Like the two positions? Um, So I found that when, I mean, obviously as a student, I didn't have a hands-on role, but for the worker that I was shadowing, um, it was more specific calls. So it would be, you know, calls of concern of drug use or calls of concern of mental health, where I found Mm -hmm. when it was um, more so with the Indigenous community, it was a lot of um, multiple factors. So, you know, if there was calls of, of drug use concerns. There was also mental health wrapped into there, a lot mm-hmm. of housing issues. Um, yeah. So it was a lot more complex cases that took, you know, more ongoing work and kind of more in-depth, um, support for the family. Yeah. Yeah. No wonder that that was so difficult. Um, how long did you do that? Um, so as an actual employed person, I worked there for about a year and a half, but with the student placement, I was just, uh, over two years total. Yeah. And when did you notice that your mental health was being affected by the job? So in my first year of working there, I was still obviously learning the ropes and figuring things out. I took the job somewhat ironically at first because it was an agency that I always said uh, was the only place in the social work field I would never work. But when the job offer came, it was difficult to say no to, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah. Exactly. So I figured, you know, I could do some good and, and change some worlds like they kind of try and inspire us to do in school. But when your team is incredibly short staffed and and multiple cases are rolling in every day, you just do the work that you're there to do and try and survive Mm -hmm. until the next day. So uh, the first time I began to seriously notice my mental health struggling was around March of 2018. So I had been there just over a year at that point. 
Um, and it was actually about six months before I left the agency. So I had some tougher clients at the time that I worked with on an ongoing basis. Um, and a few different incidents occurred that were high risk. And one incident in particular where I was actually threatened by a client with a weapon, uh, that mm-hmm. really began the, uh, the downward spiral and eventually, yeah. Leave. yeah. Wow. That's incredible. And so what were the precautions in place if you were to be threatened like that? Like there's no one there with you. So what are they training you to do? Sometimes they would send multiple workers out depending on the call that was received, but this was, you know, just a a call that came in. It wasn't a, it wasn't an immediate need or anything like that. And it was actually after hours as well. So when I showed up at the house, you're right. Like I was there by myself and you know, it just, it escalated so quickly. And thankfully I was able to chalk the client down and Mm -hmm. I contacted my supervisor and just let her know what had happened and police responded as well. And it all kind of happened so quickly in the span of about an hour, but yeah, yeah, I was, I was grateful that I had a very supportive supervisor. A lot of individuals who experience things like that don't necessarily have that support. So Mm -hmm. yeah, the, the supervisor was able to support me. And then We also had a peer support line that was at the agency as well. And they're contacted anytime anything like that happens. And they contacted me after, but it was, it was so soon after it all happened. Like, obviously I was still quite in shock. So, yeah. Yeah. So what does it, what did it look like for you at the time when you were noticing that your mental health wasn't well and you're unable to keep work at work and you're taking things home? So what did that look like for you? It was gradual at first, which I think was one of the most difficult parts. Like, you know, my, my boyfriend at the time, he would joke that he could tell I'd had a rough day because I would come home and clean the entire apartment in the span of a couple of hours. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it was, it was little things like that. And, you know, in, for someone who had been actively going to the gym for about three years at that point, I started to gain weight, which really didn't make sense because I was still mm-hmm. eating healthy and attending the gym a couple times a week. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, that weight gain, the just kind of trying to, to distract myself and mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of, lot of anxiety. I started feeling really sick before work or on days oh, no. when I was on call for, you know, I would be the person that would be getting um, an immediate case. If it came in, I would just mm-hmm. be like any tone that went off, like any phone call or anything. I was just like, instantly my heart would drop. And mm-hmm. yeah, so lots of body cues that I really wasn't paying attention to, but um, yeah. And yeah. on the surface, like cleaning your apartment doesn't seem unhealthy, right? Like that's, that's something that yeah. maybe someone who's not in the field would even recognize, but that to me, like when I get really anxious, I love to clean because like, it's something that you're actually in control of and you can see exactly. tangible results from. Yeah. So they were like in my house growing up, it was like, Oh, my mom's mad. She's cleaning the kitchen and baking things like get oh. out of there. Right. <laughs> so that's just like a, such a common coping mechanism. that I don't think a lot of people even recognize as unhealthy. No, no. And even just doing things that, you know, distract you from having to sit with your thoughts and think about what's been going on. Right. Yeah. Like the nights, I'm, I don't know if you can relate, but you know, if you have anxiety when you're lying in bed at night, like that's when all the intrusive thoughts come in, but you try and just stay so active during the day and just keep moving on from one thing to the other. And, and uh, yeah, at night, that's when the intrusive thoughts really began. And, you know, it, it is what it is, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what do you mean by intrusive thoughts? When I was out in the community and stuff like that, as I was kind of beginning to really notice my struggling 
like I said, I worked in my hometown. And so it was really difficult actually going out to do personal things in the community, like go have coffee with a friend or go to the mall or anything like that, just because I was always ultra paranoid that I would see clients in the community, as well as, you know, after the incident happened where I was threatened, I had this extreme paranoia that just any stranger was going to attack me. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's not necessarily rational. Like, obviously we don't live in like an extremely high crime area, but yeah, yeah, those intrusive thoughts, like I just, I was never able to escape those. And, you know, the nights before I was supposed to be going into work and stuff like that, I just was trying to think of, you know, how my day was going to go and trying to plan it. And like you said, be in control of of anything that I could be, but Mm -hmm. I was definitely spiraling out of control mentally at that point. Yeah. And what was happening in your personal life at that time? So I personally don't think that anything over the top was happening. Mm -hmm. I think if I had a positive work slash life balance that I would have been able to kind of manage anything, but you know, it, it was kind of normal life stuff. Like I had, one of my dogs was sick and we had to unfortunately put him down. The landlord of my apartment like sold the house and I had to move kind of unexpectedly. Um, I had some close family members that were kind of recovering poorly from surgery, like all kind of normal life stuff that happens and that you have to deal with. But yeah. um, I just didn't have the energy or the mental capacity to successfully cope with them mm-hmm. um, on top of just dealing with my own struggles. So I always used to joke like work was my escape from life and life was my escape from work. But both of them just had so much stress mm-hmm. there that yeah. I, I just couldn't separate them anymore. Yeah. You couldn't catch a break. Yeah. So were you able to tell anybody what you were experiencing? I was. I have a very weird tendency that I'm still actively working on today um, to just not talk about or tell many people about what I'm going through, just because I figure if I don't talk about it or make a big fuss out of it, then it won't be a big deal. Mm. Um, So from that March uh, in 2018 to the October, I really didn't open up to many people about what I was dealing with other than my parents and a few friends. But um yeah, I was met with a lot of support when I, I did finally open up about it. But at the time I just thought, you know, if I don't talk about it. It's not real. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like they have all these sayings and one of them is like, you know, what you focus on grows. So in that way, like you're naturally just trying to not stew on it and think about it and, yeah. and bring it into existence more than it already is. Right. So it makes sense. It's just, mm-hmm. it's not the way to be over something. It's just the way to like, forget about it. Exactly. Exactly. I I always think of the um, analogy where, you know, if you're bottling things up all the time, there's only so much that can fit until it just ends up exploding. Right. Yeah. So So true. That's what ended up happening, unfortunately. Yeah. So were there any benefits through your work for mental health services? We did have a peer support line that did contact me. You know, they're, they get your referral if something traumatic does end up happening on the field, but yeah. they contacted me about an hour or so after the incident happened. And you barely thought about it by then. No. And, and they ask you, you know, do you, do you think you're going to need support in the future for this? And you're like, well, I don't know, like yeah. I, I'm still out of my body at that point. Right. Yeah. So, um, after that, I mean, I definitely had my supervisor check in a couple of times, but I, I really didn't have any further follow-up at work. And I actually, so in the October, I actually went on stress leave for a couple of months before finding other employment, but I tried to submit a claim even through WSIB just to get some further um, mental health support. And it was an absolutely horrendous experience. Oh no! Um, it definitely re-traumatized me, but 
in the uh, the letter that I found the other day, actually, where they say like whether your claim is approved or denied. The quote was, although the event was stressful and upsetting, it doesn't sound traumatic in nature. Oh my God. So, <laughs> I mean, obviously it got rejected, but that yes. was for, you know, it, it didn't validate me at all. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. supportive at all. And essentially because I took so long to actually seek that support and to, you know, try and work on, on what I was going through, they denied me. So yeah, that's so unfortunate. And what a subjective yeah. thing to say, like, how are they to say what constitutes trauma for people? Yeah. And not only that, you know, having to relive it and explain it to all these different people and workers like that, yeah. just, it definitely, when it was so fresh, it, it wasn't great at all. Yeah. And then for them to say that it wasn't even that bad. Yeah. Would definitely yeah. make you feel very flat. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. That's awful. Thank you. <laughs> and through, and through the peer support, was that only just one phone call that they ever gave you? Or was that like, call us back if you need to, or how did that work? They did say, you know, we're obviously always here. You can call us back if you need to, but it sounds like you have some good coping strategies. Like I kind of, whenever I said, you know, I think I'm okay. I talked about how I had, you know, family and friends that I could talk to and how I thought I had good self-care at the time. And so I, I said I could handle things by myself, but Mm -hmm you know, it's also just a person on the other end of the phone. Like there's yeah. no one-on-one discussing and it didn't really feel like a safe space even because it was through the agency that wasn't really supporting me in terms of giving me extra help in the field and stuff like that. So, yeah. you know, I think if it was someone further removed or they, you know, send a referral to a different agency or something like that, or, or a specific mental health professional, totally. I think that that definitely would have been better. Yeah. You don't want to talk ill of your employer to people who are also employed by your employer. Exactly. That's yeah. Too strange. Yeah. I believe if I'm remembering correctly as well, it was on a volunteer basis. So it was another worker who worked in the field. Oh. Like it wasn't even, you know what I mean? It wasn't yeah. even an actual mental health professional. Yeah. It was just yeah. another social work person. <laughs> yeah. That's really unfortunate. They yeah. like for such a organization or agency that deals with such high risk populations and situations like that's really mm-hmm. unfortunate that they don't have more of a structure in place for that. Absolutely. That's something they need to work on for sure. I'll I send them this. That. I'll send them this recording and let them know they Perfect. need to do better. <laughs> <laughs> so you've talked about being traumatized. So does that, is that a medical diagnosis for you? Um, so obviously to go on stress leave, I did have to go and see my family doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, whenever I gave her a list of my symptoms, she essentially said, you know, I don't want to give you an official diagnosis because this does sound like something that's for a short period of time. Like it's not something that you've chronically dealt with. Um, but she did tell me that it sounded like I had severe anxiety and PTSD, Mm. but no, she never gave me an official diagnosis. I went to her with like a whole list of symptoms that I had to write out and copy out and stuff like that and give to her. And, you know, obviously the paranoia and invasive thoughts and stuff like that Mm -hmm. was part of it. But I also was having actual physical pain too. Like it wasn't just the extreme weight gain, but I was actually having like a physical pain in my abdomen every Mm. single time I had to go into work. Yeah, And it sounds unbelievable, but almost the moment I decided to go on stress leave and was away from that environment, that pain was gone. And in two and a half years, I haven't experienced it again. So that's incredible. It's, It's yeah. It's so incredible how your body will digest, if you will, or like place 
anxiety in your body and chronic pain. I wonder sometimes is probably more connected to mental health than we realize. Right. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, if you're not listening to those mental cues and, and what your body is trying to tell you through mental health symptoms, it's going to start presenting in a physical nature and like, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what started happening for me. Yes. You're not going to go see a psychiatrist, so I'm going to make you go see a doctor. Exactly. It's just like your body's like, nope. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> so you had to do a lot of self-advocating, it sounds like. Yeah, I, I definitely did. And I mean, I I do feel grateful because I have a very strong support system through my parents and my friends and my boyfriend at the time was very understanding. And so I'm very grateful that I actually did have people that I felt were in my corner I know a lot of people don't always have that option or, or that support available to them. So I mm-hmm. did feel very well supported in my decisions. That's good. I'm really glad to hear that. Mm-hmm. I know that you've been blessed by having loving, caring, awesome parents. You brag about them online a lot. So I thought you'd maybe want a minute um, to brag on them for their part in what happened with you. Oh, a hundred percent. I will never deny that. Yes. I am very fortunate to have two incredibly aware and experienced parents. Um, My mom also actually worked as a social worker for 25 years and she kind of had a, a similar experience to me where it wasn't until she started having physical symptoms of stress that she needed to leave the the field. But my dad also recently retired last year as a Toronto firefighter. So in my family, PTSD and trauma kind of run rampant, unfortunately, but I think it's a blessing in disguise because it makes us very aware and able to relate to each other as well. Like we have incredibly real conversations and Mm -hmm. go really in depth with our emotions and stuff like that, which I mean, to be able to talk like as a early 20 year old girl, being able to talk to her dad about, you know, why she's feeling a certain way that doesn't always necessarily happen. So I think the biggest kind of most positive thing they've done through all of this is to never tell me things like, Oh, you know, it's hard, but the money's really good. So just stick it out. Or, you know, it can't be as bad as what you're saying. Like, yeah, I, I didn't necessarily tell them for a few months about the specific events that, that led me to leaving the social work field. But mm-hmm. when I did, like they were nothing but supportive and caring. I just, I didn't want them to worry about me. Right. So yeah. in the end, uh, I did definitely lean on them for supporting guidance and my mom's always been the person who's like, you know, trust your gut and take care yeah. of yourself. There's only one of you. Right. So yeah. my gut was definitely right about taking a break from that. And, and they supported me through that. So, yeah, I'm so happy for that. They're honestly like too many people that don't have that capability to talk to their parents that way. Absolutely. And honestly, like, I don't even know if that was going on with me, like what my parents would say to me, like, yeah. it's just such a novel thing to talk about, like deep mental illness, m- emotion, Yeah. That like not every parent is even equipped to hear about, right. They're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never heard of any of this. You're right. So like, it's, it's really great that you had that support system living so close also. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it it really comes down to the fact that both of them had those experiences themselves in the field Mm -hmm. and saw me going through it. And just, we all just really wanted to support each other. So Yeah. So what other things were you able to do to kind of manage or cope for that few months that you were unsure of what your next step was? For sure. So, I mean, definitely reaching out and talking to my friends and family was kind of the primary thing, but it sounds corny, but really just trying to do a lot of self-reflection. And I didn't necessarily go and seek any mental health professionals right away, but I tried to do a lot of self-work and looking at um, a lot of self-help books and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I began journaling a lot. 
really just trying to ground myself again in my body after living for so many months, just kind of watching somebody else live my life. Like Mm -hmm. I really disconnected from myself during those few months. Like I said, just kind of trying to keep my head above water. So I had to do a lot of work to just get back to me and to, to get to know who I was after all of this happened, after all of these transformative events and Mm -hmm. just really try and figure out what my next steps were. And I think it's tough coming to the realization, like where I was working, it was one of the better paying social work jobs for sure. And so, you know, even if I took a step back and worked at a different social work agency, I wasn't going to be making that money. And I think for my mental health at the time, I was very quick to realize that if I did work in another mental health capacity, there was still going to be a lot of triggers and a lot of things that I reacted to based off of what had happened. Mm -hmm. And so just acknowledging that fact and saying, you know what, this isn't worth it. I need to really take a step back and take care of me. And that's when I got the oh so glamorous job at the car factory. Yeah. Like I said, being able to leave work at work was a a huge blessing and something that I I looked forward to. So, yeah. So how did you hear about that job at a car factory where you're just like, let me think of the most opposite thing I could (laughs) and apply to that. Um, honestly, my ex-boyfriend at the time worked there and he complained a lot about the shift work, obviously, but it, it really was good money. And, you know, there's a lot of grumpy people there and a lot of people who have worked there for 30 years and it was their first job and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But it's actually interesting because a girl that I met there, um, she, came from working as a PSW and her and I have a lot of similar experiences in the sense Hmm. that like we kind of know how rough it is on the other side so we actually really appreciate the work even though it's you know extremely monotonous monotonous I can't say it monotonous (laughs) yes thank you yeah yeah it's all good (laughs) um yeah it's very boring and so uh we just kind of like that fact after coming from such a chaotic work environment Mm -hmm. um it like you said it's polar opposites pretty much. And I think that's exactly what I needed at the time. Yeah. So you've said that you're working on yourself, which is amazing. Like getting ready to be back in the field, if that's like eventually what you want, which ultimately you don't even have to decide to go back into the field if you don't want to, of course, Mm -hmm. Um, but looking back at your time of being in the field, how do you see things differently than um, you did before? For sure. I think at this point I'm far enough removed to ask myself why I didn't leave earlier. So Mm you know, like it was really impacting not just my mental health, like I said, but my physical health as well. And so I wonder at times why 2018 Briar didn't just walk away sooner. Um, But then, like I said, I remember all of the good things that came with it, like all the money benefits and health benefits and stuff like that. and, And being a student right fresh out of the field, but there's also all sorts of guilt attached to taking care of yourself. So for me, the guilt of still having my school debt, um, the guilt of leaving my already short staff team, um, yeah. being less supported. I had made friends with the workers that were there at that point. So I knew that my really crappy cases were going to be given to them. Mm, um, yes. And like I said, yeah, I, I knew any job I took, um, whether it was in the same field or not, wouldn't compare financially. So you add all these things together at the time and you just try to make it one more day and push yourself a little bit further. But mm-hmm. to me, that's, that's no way to live. And to be, you know, 23 or 24 working at a career job, you think that's everything, right? Like yeah. you've made it, but when your daily life is, is such a struggle to get through, you just know that that's no way to live. Yeah. 
we have talked a lot about what this has taught you. Um, and so what do you think you're going to be able to use in the future from this experience to protect yourself? So the biggest thing is to trust my gut. I felt sick to my stomach going into work every day for the better part of six months. And anyone knows that that's not a good sign. Yeah. And also to put my faith in the people around me who are in my corner and to seek their support and help as well. Like if, if they're truly my people and they're truly like there for me, they're going to be there for me no matter what. And so I've also been fairly vocal about my challenges on social media. Um, and I've been open about my struggles during this experience and since then as well. But the messages that I've received and notes from people saying that they care or they know someone going through something similar or anything like that, like that's really the biggest thing for me is just hoping that my experience wasn't for nothing. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. And that maybe my openness about healing from it all and, and the work that I'm continuing to do today, even though, you know, it's almost two and a half years later, it helps someone else find their voice and to validate their feelings. So no one should feel alone going through something like this. And I, yeah. I feel grateful that even when I was at my lowest points, I had the faith and trust in, you know, my people and the universe around me that I wasn't going to or that I was going to come out stronger on the other side. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Have you ever heard of mental health first aid training? No, I have not. So when I did my placement at a clinic, like just like a general health clinic where there was like doctors and addictions counselors and social workers. So I had a few different like training things that I was able to be a part of at the beginning of me doing my placement there, which was really cool. So -hmm. one of the things was mental health first aid training, and it was actually run and taught by the woman that I was shadowing. So she's like, you have to come. You don't even have to pay. (laughs) You're going to be sitting through this. And I was like, I'm really excited. And so what it really is, is teaching employers, um, and like, and employees together, like you can do it like as a team building kind of thing, or like, um, heads of maybe like, you know, departments can come, um, Mm -hmm. where you're actually just learning about like what mental illness looks like in the work, in the workplace and in school. Like, so you'd be recognizing like children, um, or youth going through, you know, suicidal ideation, like when maybe that was something that you kind of had no idea to look for in the past and like how to talk about things like suicidal thoughts or substance use and like, you know, talking about buzzwords with anxiety and depression. And it was such a good course that That's is, cool. that is kind of like underfunded. Like I think that it runs on grants. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, that needs to be implemented in so many more ways in so many more workplaces, because it's obviously massively needed. A hundred percent. I mean, you remember like when we were in university, almost every professor, no matter what course we were in, preached about mental health and, and self-care and everything like that. But when you actually get out to the field, there's such a scarcity for resources out there. And, and like I said, you're so busy just trying to get through the day that you really don't even have a chance to, to consider or, or do those actual practices that you were hopefully being taught in social work school. And for something like WSIB to deny you as well, you're like, well, that was the one place that like is supposed to be helping you. Right. I know. Yeah. And when you eventually meet all these dead ends, you just stop trying. Right. And, mm-hmm. and that can make someone feel so alone and to feel so invalidated with what they're experiencing that they start thinking, oh, you know, maybe that weakness is in themselves and it's not mm-hmm. what happened to them, but it's just a fault in themselves or something like that, which is not right. Like everybody should, should feel validated and feel that they're voice matters. So, yeah. Yeah. I hope that in the future, there's going to be a lot more awareness of mental health in the workplace in general with a lot more training and responsibility placed on whoever team leaders are. Like if you, obviously they're not called that in every field, but you know, like Mm -hmm. the main people 
need to have people skills. Like people are not just robots that do work. Like people are very intricate beings that have lots of things coming from home, coming from their childhood. And you're just there with them for eight hours a day. You need to be able to interact with these people in a healthier way. It's, it's strange. Like I even see that at my current employment, like there's so many people that are having a crappy day or they have a certain reaction to something. And, you know, the team leaders there are shown how to do a repair on a certain car or whatever, but they're not really shown those people skills. Yeah. And if they are like, you know, there's thousands of us there. So they don't really consider us actual people, just kind of a number or, you know, a someone to do a certain process. And right, so yeah. I think whether it's a social work agency or it's, Tim Hortons or a car factory or something like the people that are there all have lives. They all have stories. And it's so important that they feel seen and that they feel heard. Mm-hmm. So what would you like someone to take away from this? Um, I think just opening the conversation about mental health and making it a normal part of everyday life is yeah. so critical. I know, I think it was about a year ago prior to the pandemic, like I was posting a lot about, you know, having to sit with my thoughts by myself and little did I know that COVID would actually like force that and force me to, you know, take that time and, and be as self-reflective as I feel like I have been recently. But definitely when I'm posting on social media about stuff like this, I do wonder what people's reaction is going to be or mm-hmm. if, you know, they're going to think that I'm again, making a big deal out of something that actually wasn't all that massive or or whatever but to me that's the point of all of it right like that's the point of speaking out that's the point of telling your story is to make it more normal and to make other people feel that they can share theirs or reach out for help or or know that they're not alone so I think in me telling my story I just really hope that other people see like no matter what they can get through it there are supports out there and and they don't have to be alone through this Yeah. And it's incredible. Once you start to open up about something like that, you notice how many people are also dealing with it in silence and didn't have maybe the bravery, if you will call it that to share publicly about it. And so that is so important and kind of like you as the person open to sharing, like have this new responsibility to (laughs) to bring light to this. So hopefully if someone's talking to you about, you can be like, Oh, I'll just send you this link (laughs) and here's our podcast. And you'll have to not tell it over and over even from the agency, like I still have several people that I'm in contact with and, and, you know, those friendships when you're in the thick of it and you're in the trenches, you really do create a bond. And so, um, I have people that I'm still connected with today that I worked with and, you know, a couple of them aren't there anymore, or, Mm -hmm. you know, there are some that have been on stress leave since then and stuff like that. And it really has opened up those conversations as well. And um, I think one of the biggest things was when I was talking to one of my friends who is about 10 years older than I am, but she started at a similar age when I did. Mm -hmm. Um, And so to see kind of her experiences were more gradual over time. Like she, she certainly has had those traumatic experiences, but she's gotten through them and, and continued working and stuff like that. But, you know, she told me about what her life was like and and certain things that have happened to her all relating back to stress. And she said, you know, do you want this to be your life? Like, do you really want to have to go through all these things as well before you take that step in leaving? And that really made it sink in as well, that this wasn't a life that I had to choose. And, you know, there might be 
a couple more years where I have to pay student loans or I can't maybe afford to go out and do that shopping trip, but I can definitely have a better life. Yeah, exactly. It's not all about money. Exactly. It's cool that that woman was able to shed light on the situation for you, but then also I really hope that she's found services for herself too now, right? Because you just never, you just never know with people not talking about it. No, absolutely. And it's interesting as well. Like, I think that honestly, everyone could benefit from speaking to a mental health professional, Everyone, something traumatic has happened in their life, or, you know, they're just going through kind of a transformative situation in their life or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. I really think that therapists and counselors are underrated and how, yeah. how much they can help you just for everyday life. And so, yeah, definitely. I would say seeking a professional's help is something positive, but I, I did that. And it's strange. I did that a year after I had left, I actually did start going to see a counselor and mm-hmm. I only did a couple of sessions that were able to be covered by my, my new health benefits. But I started talking about my personal life at that time. And we really did a lot of work, um, not just about my, my career, but about, uh, about my personal life at the time. And so, you know, she gave me tools that I could use as I continued on. And even if I wasn't actively seeing her anymore, she gave me a lot of things from my personal toolbox that I could maintain as I went on. So totally. Yeah. And I think when you see a professional like that too, it's not even that you have to have a problem that you're going there for sometimes like you don't even realize that like there's conversations you need to have, like you just don't even know what you don't know. (laughs) Yeah. And like, you know, as you're describing something to them, they could say, oh, you know, tell me more about that. And then, you know, five minutes later, you're in tears describing something that you thought that you had dealt with and processed and and kind of over. So, um, and I definitely think finding the right mental health professional is really critical as well. You know, not to give up after one bad one. Exactly. Yeah. I'm grateful that we do live in a community where there are a lot of different uh, options and a lot of different agencies. So that's been a positive as well. But Mm -hmm. I mean, even just doing research on different self-care books and stuff like that, like there's a lot of really easy reads out there, even for people who don't necessarily spend the time or enjoy, you know, taking time out of their day to do some reading and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. There are a lot of good reads out there. And like I said, like journaling a lot has really helped me. And, you know, I, enjoy talk therapy with, um, the counselors that I've gone to. So Mm -hmm. I feel based on my social work experience, I've been able to kind of provide that for myself in my journaling. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, the questions to ask. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. Which it's harder when it's to yourself, but yeah, for sure. Yeah. So tell me more about these, um, self-help books that you loved, because I know that people on here would love to hear some tangible resources that they can try as well. Absolutely. So the one that I initially started that really kind of set things in motion for me in terms of getting back to myself and grounding myself again, it's called Unfuck Your Brain. Mm. And it's like I said, it's one of those easy reads because there is a lot of emotions. There is a lot of anger and sadness and all these things built up inside of you. So when it's a book like that, um, it really does bring it into perspective and make it a fun read, but a very like introspective read in the sense yeah. that you just really do look at yourself. And then, yeah, just uh, a lot of books that I have read aren't even necessarily about trauma, but it's about, yeah. like I said, trusting in the universe and and kind of getting back to yourself. So there's a really amazing one called The Universe Has Your Back. Um, oh, yeah. Another one called Untamed by Glennon Doyle. That yeah, really I love cool. that one. I did that one on Audible. It was so good. Oh, my gosh. I think every girl in the universe needs to read that book just yeah. because it's so powerful and and educating. So 
yeah, like I said, even though this was two and a half years ago, there's still a lot of work that I'm doing and, you know, still a lot of growth and healing that I'm doing from it. And in opportunities like this, where I am going back over it and having to reflect on it again and stuff like that, I kind of feel like I'm always pulling different things from it and always, you know, seeing it from not a different perspective, but just being able to see it in a new light. And Mm -hmm. like I said, at this point right now, I'm just hoping that someone else can take my experiences from it and relate to it somehow. I know obviously it's not going to be the same for everybody, but just really try and get back to their themselves and to trust their guts and to know that they have the power to take control and it's their life and they should be able to live it the way that they want and not have mental health and stress and fear rule their, rule their life. Yeah, totally. And it's so cool how you say that, like each time you reflect on it, you take something else out of it. And hopefully that kind of like slowly will piece back together the experience to a whole, right? Like the more that you talk about it and pull things from it, hopefully that all kind of solidify and concrete the idea for 10 years from now. And hopefully <laughs> you are just so happy and so healthy. You just don't even, don't even think about it anymore. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, I definitely wish that it hadn't happened, right? I mean, yeah. being threatened and feeling in danger isn't something that you would wish on anybody, but yeah. I think I really did learn a lot about myself and I really did become stronger and become more self-aware and just know like that power of knowing that I can get through pretty much anything life throws at me. Like that's, that's been really cool. And I do feel a lot stronger both mentally and physically because of everything that I was able to get through. I think that's a blessing in disguise. <laughs> yeah. You never really know why the heck something's happening. And it's obviously so unpleasant in the time, but then afterwards, like being able to reflect on some good things, like the personal growth, like you wouldn't have maybe gotten otherwise is super important too. Just so you're not like 100% cynical that it exactly. happened rather than like, okay, well, if it had to happen, like, what can I take from it? <laughs> yeah. And, and honestly, I think that it happening so early on in my, you know, quote unquote, social work career was a benefit as well. And that sounds weird, but I think that really, because I was still so young and so impressionable, like I started working there two weeks before my 22nd birthday. So like I was fresh in the field and Mm -hmm. at 26 now, like I just look back and I'm like, man, I, I didn't have a chance to do those early twenties things that everyone does because I was responsible for a caseload. I was responsible for all these different families and supporting them and stuff like that. And so I think that that's given me the power now as well to appreciate the little things in my life. And even though I work crappy shifts and stuff like that right now, like I am able to go out and enjoy, well, not right now, currently, Um, but you know, prior to that, um, I was able to go out and enjoy my time separately. And, you know, I didn't get so deep and entrenched in the work that I was just kind of, like you said, cynical and, and Mm -hmm. forever. I I was still able to be resilient and bounce back. And I think finding that resilience is, is really critical. Yeah. So it's interesting that you brought up about it happening so soon in your career. And I wonder if anyone ever was saying like, no, no, you can't, you can't be burning out or this can't be burnout because you've only been here for two years. It's interesting. I did have a few people have sort of said different things to me over the time, like, especially at my new job, when they found out that I did work as a social worker for two years, they're like, Oh, but like, 
you're so young still. Like how, mm-hmm. like, why did that happen already? And it's like, well, good question. Almost, yeah. I'm like, well, I was almost stabbed. So I mean, that's kind of like a big deal. Yeah. And then they're like, Oh my God, like, I'm so sorry. So, yeah. I mean, I think for a lot of people, they don't realize that this stuff happens. And mm-hmm. as social workers, like you really are in the thick of it. And a lot of people just don't even think that that can be possible or that, you know, people can be so, unwell themselves that Mm -hmm. yeah that they go and do something like that but yeah you know I've also had a lot of comments where it's like oh well you went to university for this and you know you only worked there for two years and you're still paying off loans and you've already given up and it's like no like I'm just taking time for myself right so like I said there's all sorts of that guilt and I think that just really staying true to yourself is difficult when you have all this other pressure and all these other voices trying to make you feel guilty and make you feel shame and stuff like that. But I think that self-work is really critical in times like that. And like I said, having people in your corner that are like, you know, screw that person. Like they don't yeah. know what they're talking about. Right. So yeah. I was just yeah. going to say, it must be like a thin line to walk of like sharing what you want and expecting to be supported and positive and then sharing what you want and then having people react negatively and kind of just like choosing. You have to like mentally choose maybe to be like, no, I'm not going to talk to you about this ever again, because you've given me these bad energy, this bad energy and these bad responses. I'm going to talk to this person over here because she actually is supportive and kind and encouraging. Yeah. And it's interesting because at my current job, I always joke that I feel like I'm doing like a weird field study, like a research study. Oh, yeah. There's so many different characters and personalities that are there. Yeah, that's so, so fun. You really do have to like, I don't know, like there are different experiences throughout the day and you just kind of have to laugh them off at, at the end of the day because it's like, you know what, like everyone has their story. Everyone yeah. has their own things going on. They don't know everything about me. I don't know yeah. everything about them if someone says something negative or is judgmental or anything like that, I feel like I've gotten pretty good at just taking it with a grain of salt and saying, you know, this might even trigger them for some reason that I don't necessarily know about. Right. So for me, like I said, one of the symptoms that I had was severe weight gain. I gained about 40 pounds in the span of one year, which for me, like you remember from university, like I was all about that fitness. You were a toit. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So for me, for anyone outside of my inner circle, like they didn't really understand why that could be such a big deal for me, but it's just all those things add up mentally. Right. And Mm so, you know, even someone now saying, well, you've lost that weight. So like, you're fine. And it's like, well, no, like I still have stretch marks that remind me of that Uh, every day and and all that stuff. Right. So like I said, people don't know your story. People will never understand a hundred percent of, of what you went through. But Mm -hmm. like I said, I feel like it's worth it to try to get that story out there just so that if someone does see some sort of sliver of themselves in what I went through Mm -hmm. I just like I just so badly want them to feel okay and make them feel that they're not alone like I've continued to be a very empathic person I wear my heart on my sleeve like someone can tell me a story about what they went through in life and I'll like start to cry with them like I'm 100% that person which again is probably a pro and a con in the social work field, but, yeah. um, yeah, like I, I just, I want everyone to feel okay and to feel that their feelings are valid. Their emotions are so important and yeah, their voice is heard. Yeah. That's incredible. I'm so proud of you. Thank you so much oh. for being open to this. 
Thank you, Emily. Thank you. So I also want to say too, just before we end this, that even if someone doesn't completely relate to you as themselves Mm -hmm. in you, I think it's also very good to have this awareness for other people in their general vicinity at work, right? Like if they can see some of the things that you're talking about right now in an employee um, that they know, Mm -hmm. then hopefully they could start a dialogue about that too. So it may not even be just like a personal relationship to what you're going through. It could be for someone else that they know. Well, and you know, if you have a friend who gets home from work and manically cleans their apartment, or you have someone who's just go, go, go all the time and never really sits with themselves, like check in on them, ask them yeah. if, like what's really going on. Right. Because yeah. there's tons of signs of anxiety and, and mental health struggles that are just brushed over. Or, you know, if someone says they're fine, but then they're going to do all these different things, like they just might be trying to convince themselves. Right. So yeah. Yeah. We need to all have the tools to help each other. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I really hope that um, you enjoyed this episode once I've edited it and got it out. I hope that you're proud of it. I will send it to you before that so that you know if it's thank good you to go. So <laughs> you're welcome. Rambly. <laughs> no, it was, it was perfect. Awesome. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you, Emily. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. I hope you learned something new. Hit follow or subscribe to get my weekly episode and add me online. It's Let's Get Passionate on both Facebook and Instagram. Have a beautiful day.